This is an RNZ podcast. While the Prime Minister addressed reporters several times this week to update them on the Fakari White Island disaster, her deputy thanked reporters for their work when he called them to a press conference on Thursday morning. Let's start by acknowledging the work of all the media outlets and reporters, and particularly the regional reporters, who have been covering this week's tragedy at Fakari White Island. It further underscores the role for news media for disseminating information at times of natural disaster, both in the Bay of Plenty and in the lower South Island during the recent storm. But it was the storm faced by media outfits in these digitally disrupted days that Winston Peters wanted to talk about. News media companies, which were once powerhouses, he said, are now Sunset Industries. He spoke of the collapse of the fourth estate here, referencing Keith Holyoke, Thomas Jefferson and even Nelson Mandela along the way. And those were tough words to hear for New Zealand Herald editor Shane Curry and his boss Michael Boggs, the chief executive at the Herald's publisher NZME. Both were at Parliament, along with other NZME executives, to hear Mr Peters say that his New Zealand First Party would back NZME's efforts to take over rival news publisher stuff, creating one big news company with a better chance of surviving in a tough market. And Winston Peters went on to say that he backed government-led efforts also to reshape our public broadcasters. The future of TVNZ and Radio New Zealand passes a public interest test. It has been New Zealand First policies and position to support a strengthened public sector media. For this reason, we welcome the initiative of Minister Farfoy to progress work in this area. But the problem is, no one outside the Minister, Chris Farfoy, the Cabinet and a few selected officials and advisers know what that plan is yet. This might even mean a mashing together of RNZ and TVNZ and maybe more money for privately owned media to tap into for their news and journalism. Last month, an advisory group of media bosses and civil service chiefs told the government the status quo was not sustainable for our media. And that echoed top media bosses earlier in the year, such as TVNZ CEO Kevin Kenrick and Michael Boggs. This year, NZME took the plunge and put up a paywall to make people pay for premium stuff from the Herald. And last week, the chief executive of Stuff, the publisher of most of this country's newspapers and the biggest news website, told newsroom.co.nz it's thinking about something similar. We've seen a real shift in the last couple of years in the, in the willingness of people to accept they need to pay for journalism. And also... Um, so what know, does that mean? You are considering well, it? We, yes, we're certainly considering it, but we've also been considering it over the last few years and looking at the landscape, looking at where our opportunities are and making a few bets you know, the landscape for reader, you know, direct reader revenue and assessing where the opportunities are. Now, another thing which would change the media landscape Sinead Boucher was talking about there is NZME trying to take over Stuff, even though the Commerce Commission said no to that two years ago. And Stuff's current owner, Australian broadcaster Nine, is trying to sell off Stuff. The offshore private equity owners of MediaWorks want to sell its TV channels as well, all of which means hundreds of jobs in New Zealand journalism and the back offices are at risk. But while those owners want out of the New Zealand market, online streaming services like Amazon Prime and Disney Plus have come in, further splitting up the audience and the money it's prepared to pay for premium entertainment. The most comprehensive analysis of our complicated media scene each year is the New Zealand Media Ownership Report. It was created by economist Bill Rosenberg many years ago, and it's now published by the Centre for Journalism, Media and Democracy at the Auckland University of Technology. Its co-director is Dr Maria Mililati, and she's the main author of the 2019 report. So what's it like trying to summarise the whole scene with the ground under the industry shifting all the time? 
I think it's the hardest report we have uh, done. We have. I was updating the report constantly, so I thought we can now finish it off, and then something popped up, like the government said that okay, we're considering the RNZ and TVNZ, putting them together uh, into the new entity, and then there was announcements about the media works, TV sale, the merger of the NZME, and stuff resurfaced again. So it was just constant updating. We, we feel your pain on that. We really do here at Media Watch. <laughs> but interesting, you mentioned that government proposal for a new public media entity. Now, the advisory group that recommended that to the government, and they could be considering that um, any time now, uh, said the status quo is unsustainable. That was their collective position. But, uh, I mean, they didn't really specify what they didn't think could be sustained. Do you agree with them? While we were working on this report, I started to feel like Okay, we have been saying that there's a lot of trouble and the media is in trouble and last year we were somewhat optimistic and this year I was thinking, oh my God, this is really now looking quite bad. If you look, you know, what's happened with the media companies, you know, a lot of them are making losses. They're not paying dividends. Um, they're cutting, uh, you know, the operations like, you know, media work selling the television arm. So it really... And, you know, looks that this ecosystem or news ecosystem we have is on the verge of collapse. Maybe it's too strong thing to say, but I really feel like it. MediaWorks that you mentioned there, their chief executive, uh, who's from Australia, Michael Anderson, uh, made the point in the middle of this year, look, we have almost the same number of commercial television broadcasters in a market of less than five million here that they have in his home country of Australia and a much bigger market of almost 25. Is that a fundamental problem specifically for those TV broadcasting companies? I'm not sure if it's just a problem of the small market. The fundamental problem is that we have moved and are moving more rapidly to the digital world from the print or the traditional broadcasting. In the report, it says in 2019, the financial uh, vulnerability of New Zealand media companies was on full display and notes that uh, broadcasters TVNZ, Sky uh, and NZME, um, they're all uh, commercial media companies, although TVNZ is is state-owned, were unable to pay dividends to their shareholders. What's the significance, though, of, of being unable to pay a dividend? Quite often uh, what happens, if you don't pay a dividend, your share price drops. And what we have seen with the Sky Television uh, in a year, uh, from November last year to November this year, their share price dropped 66%, which means, again, then the value of the company is you know, shrinking. And you noted that uh, stuff, if we look at the, uh, what we might have called the, you know, the, the print, the news publishing, formerly print uh, side of things, it's a digital media company now, you say they're the only big commercial digital that doesn't get any reader revenue uh, for its news uh, online. Um, now, we've heard recently Sinead Boucher saying they're actually looking at that. They have a team of people. What, what could conceivably work for them? Yeah, we have actually talked about that, you know, would the paywall um, make sense for them? Um, uh, what they indicated uh, also that they could consider the membership model. They have, you know, already over 700,000 members in Neighbourly the neighborhood um, site they, they're running. So they could monetize maybe that somehow with the memberships. And then they say that, you know, they might actually get some memberships for people who are interested in climate change, for example, or climate-related uh, stories. So membership model maybe might be better, but I don't know. Yeah, right now they're looking to hire a climate editor, so they're making a big mm. push on that. But it's a hard ask, isn't it? When we know this company is owned by a highly commercial Australian 
uh, media company in the Nine Network, and they want to get rid of it. They want to sell it. Yeah, and I think the time is you know time is not right to do anything at the moment uh, before you know we actually know or they know what happens with the company. So, but I understand that they do need to create reader revenue, and they are the only one, uh, only company which doesn't have a digital. Uh, reader revenue model uh, in New Zealand. And this year what was interesting, we have seen that these pay models and pay systems have expanded. So the spin-off, for example, brought the a membership uh, program and um, Scoop, uh, new email subscription service. Business Desk launched, for example, uh, individual subscriptions. People are gradually, I think they are paying for the other services like, you know, okay, Netflix and whatever. People actually pay quite a lot for the foreign um, newspapers. I have a lot of students who pay for the New York Times, for example. So there is some willingness to pay if uh, you know if you have a compelling content. And the report also highlights the growing role that, uh, in the background, private equity funds and offshore funds play in the ownership of the media here. In fact, um, if we have uh, the report says during 2019, the future of the entire private broadcasting sector was placed in the hands of two financial firms, American Oak Tree Capital and Sydney-based Quadrant Private Equity. So those are the two arms that own the MediaWorks company. But is it right to say the entire broadcasting sector? But of course we have Prime and Sky that has different owners and NZME, yeah. for example, has radio. Private equity uh, uh, companies are owning, um, or two of those companies are owning uh, MediaWorks. But if you look at the ownership also of the Sky, so Sky's uh, two biggest owners are still uh, uh, investment management companies. Mm-hmm. They own the biggest chunk of the Sky. Same goes with the NZME, and the, it's mainly owned by the financial institutions. So it's, you know, maybe it's not private equity owned, but it's financially owned. So that's when we're talking about the financialized uh, ownership. But what, why is this financialized ownership, as you put it, or even the, the private offshore equity, necessarily a bad thing? I mean, if other, if other companies aren't going to invest in the media and individuals uh, are put off by not getting a dividend, uh, you know, so they're not going to uh, buy stocks and shares and so on, um, should we be grateful and thankful that, um, that <laughs> private equity is, is involved and at least prepared to, um, to, to have an ownership, to take a stake? Well, that's an interesting uh, point. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at uh, what's happening, for example, in the U.S., uh, and this is mostly on the newspaper publishing uh, business. Uh, in in U.S., uh, the uh, private equity companies have been buying lots of newspapers and newspaper assets. So there is still some value in there. But to uh, extract more value, they then cut costs, of course, because they want most profit out uh, out of those companies. So what we've seen in the USA, they've been buying these newspapers and then they've been, you know, uh, cutting costs. So which means less and less and less journalists in these new- newsrooms. So that's where the problem comes. That you know, the, in the end. Uh, private equity uh, doesn't have an interest in the news or newsrooms or edit, uh, editorial policies or anything like that. Their uh, interest is to maximize their return. And in 2020, I wonder, uh, because of what you're talking about there, do you feel that news might become an even smaller part of these media companies? For example, Stuff, you know, once a dedicated newspaper publisher back in the day, that was its genesis, its legacy. Now it's a digital media company with all sorts of uh, businesses like Retailing Energy and Broadband and NZME, uh, the publisher of the New Zealand Herald and 
talk radio stations. Uh, you know, it's involved in um, advertising and uh, entertainment, all sorts of other things. Could we see that because news is costly, um, it becomes a smaller and smaller part of, of the companies that offer it? That's really good point, and I don't really have an answer to that. Um, I, I th- there is a risk that you know news is going to be marginalised, and if you look, for example, the media works, and uh, again uh, going back to the media works, if they um, uh, sell the television side, so a lot of news uh, programs are, are going to go out with that sale, but uh, we will see less news in the public domain. Actually, the younger people are interested in issues, not so much in news it, as such. It's about issue-driven, not so much news-driven. One move this year that was a new thing, uh, which the report highlights as, as one of the significant uh, events, New Zealand Rugby uh, became a substantial shareholder in Sky TV, and they told everybody this was a, a world-first thing, you know, a sporting organisation actually taking a, a stake in a, in a broadcaster uh, rather than perhaps the other way around. Do you think we could see more of these sorts of deals where media companies who are having a tough time actually sell stakes in themselves or even kind of become joint ventures with um, with other organisations with whom they kind of cross over in their core business? Yeah, that is very... The whole ownership structure of the Sky Television at the moment is very interesting because, uh, as you said, uh, the, um, New Zealand Rugby took uh, over 5% a stake in, in um, Sky Television. Then uh, when Sky, earlier on this year, bought the Rugby Bass, the platform, Rugby online platform, um, as a part of that deal, the uh, Rugby Bass owners uh, came uh, 6%, or, you know, they own now 6% of the Sky Television shares. And then on top of that, the, the government-run uh, ACC owns over 7% of the Sky Television. So we have a really interesting ownership structure there. Uh, so we have a Rugby New Zealand, we have a, uh, the, the um, Rugby Bass uh, share, uh, shareholders owning the company, and then we have a government-run organization o- owning more than 7% of the company. Isn't that interesting? It is. <laughs> And I, I wonder if other companies might be tempted to think, well, we could twin up with the companies that, uh, with whom we overlap somehow that aren't media companies, and that might be one way of um, improving their chances of sustainability. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that we will see uh, similar kind of deals. I'm pretty sure that we will see all kind of new kind of arrangements. In the report, you note Australia addressed the question of what you've called platform power. So this is the, the big... Uh, offshore tech companies, Google and Facebook, such a big presence in our media now and a large, large slice and growing of the ad income that the media used to depend on. The Australian regulator ACCC had a year-long investigation into the impact that's having on their news media and their media more broadly. Um, but the New Zealand Commerce Commission has not responded with a, uh, with a similar initiative. Do, do you think it really should in the public interest? I think something should happen in New Zealand. Um, I'm personally very uh, disappointed that uh, after the Christchurch attacks, um, uh, nothing has actually changed. Uh, there was, a, you know, the the Christchurch call after those attacks, and a lot of you know talk about that. You know, we have to have a regulatory uh, uh, regime uh, to curb that platform power in New Zealand, but nothing has happened. And, and we had those financial institutions, for example, including the New Zealand Superfund, and uh, they said that they will, uh, you know, force uh, Facebook and Twitter 
to uh, change their ways. But um, as far as I know, nothing has uh, happened. But, but and, Maria, that, that's, mm. that's how Facebook and Google and so on, the material they publish. You know, what the ACCC was looking at was you know, the, the actual impact, the financial impact it's having because it's, um, it's so good at cornering the market and advertising. There's about, at the moment, uh, internationally, about 100 different kind of inquiries going on uh, about the platform regulation. So it's, uh, it's kind of in a mess. I don't think anyone knows exactly what we should do. In New Zealand, Google and uh, Facebook take about 70 to 80% of the whole digital advertising uh, um, revenue or the, you know, the money. So surely something should be done uh, about that. Surely. And then again, they still don't invest anything in New Zealand journalism, Google and Facebook. They have initiated those all kind of you know, programs in US and Europe where they're investing directly to journalism, but nothing here. And one thing we have seen in the past year as well is more sharing of content between New Zealand, particularly news media organisations. I mean, RNZ, for example, has, uh, I think, more than 30 uh, partners now who can run RNZ content if they want it because, you know, it's all been paid for by the taxpayer in the first instance anyway. So, but even between commercial companies, we're seeing a bit more sharing. Do you think that's something that will intensify as, as you know, they, they seek to, um, you know, get, get as much bang for their buck having created the content as they can? It is a little bit problematic in that way that uh, if... For example, uh, if you're sharing your content and then uh, you're asking your members, uh, you know, donate for your coverage and your content uh, money or memberships or whatever, and then you're sharing that content and the members don't quite know what they're paying for and then where it's shared, I think it's a little bit problematic. Uh, Also, um, I have highlighted this uh, earlier on and I've been concerned that if we get to the cycle that we see the same content over and over on a different platform, so you know where is that then the you know the diversity? Uh, so the, I'm scared that you know we can end up in a situation that you know too much is shared and then we have the same content going on in different platforms. If we have that kind of you know system, uh, then you think that you know RNZ is becoming new NZBA. In effect, like so a news agency, are, yeah, like a news. You, you, yeah, suddenly you are becoming kind of news agency, uh, you know, and then but not getting like you know syndication money for doing that. I don't know. I I've, I find it a little bit difficult. And uh, also, finally, Maria, the report begins with a really fascinating section actually about uh, their situation overseas. And what you call the convergence in the global media market, especially in broadcasting, enormous deals, you know, in excess of 100 uh, US uh, billion dollars. Um, where's all this money coming from? Yeah, in the broadcasting sector, we have seen those, you know, massive deals like, you know, Disney buying the uh, 21st uh, Century Fox. Uh, these companies like Disney are cash uh, rich. So they have actually uh, a lot of money. I had a quick look at you know, how these uh, deals have been funded. And remember also that they can uh, go back to their shareholders and ask for the capital and they can borrow. You know, they have a lot of cash to burn. So mainly they, uh, you know, yeah. They have, you know, a lot of, you know, money in their pockets. And even the sort of digital native organisations, things like BuzzFeed and uh, Vice, for example, I, I didn't know till I read your report that Disney, um, you know, real established mm. media company, owns, owns yeah. more than a fifth of Vice and has been writing down the value of it because that, that company hit trouble. And also um, your Verizon, which is basically a tel- telco initially, owned um, Huffington Post uh, yeah. and put it on sale. Mm. So... Are we getting to the point where or a smaller number of those companies are owning 
a broader range of uh, of media, and we could end up with those all being kind of consolidated under the same umbrella of finance. You know, it's interesting. I think you know what happened uh, then uh, when we had the boom on the digital uh, news outlets, like BuzzFeed and Vice, etc. And you know, everyone was betting that no, these are going to be the new stars uh, in this digital world. It didn't quite uh, pan out that way, and then uh, they started to cut costs and you know laying off the people uh, or the journalists. Then these big companies actually bought them, and now they're reselling them. We will see that you know these companies then end up in the hands of some private equity corporation, which then you know combines them with the other digital assets and sells them off again. It's uh, but it's interesting that I think you know. We have seen that, you know, boom in this digital news uh, uh, natives and then we uh, where they end up uh, is a question mark. And apart from having those big media and tech companies with their media ownerships, uh, we have actually the individuals, the billionaires. So Michael Bloomberg, um, even, for example, um, the uh, Lorraine Powell, the, the widow of Steve Jobs, uh, has a majority stake in The Atlantic magazine, uh, which I didn't realise. And, of course... You know, the, the world's richest guy, Jeff Bezos, um, basically owns the Washington Post. I'm so happy that you're learning something about reading my report. <laughs> well, well, we knew yeah. about, I knew about Jeff Bezos. Everybody yeah. knows that in the Washington <laughs> Post. Know, but, yeah. but things yeah. like, things yeah. like you know, mm. really mm. magazines that have an influence and mm. create original yeah. journalism like The Atlantic, I had no idea. It's mm. basically, um, mm. you know, up to the whim of the widow of Steve Jobs whether uh, it, it continues or gets sold to someone else. In, in the US especially, and also in the UK, we have seen that the billionaires are, are coming um, and buying the news assets or magazines or newspapers. And if you look, you know, I always go back to the Washington Post that's so far so good. With, you know, it's actually been working really well. So it's, you know, it's not always a bad thing. You know, I think, you know, why don't we have that here? Why doesn't anyone step up? And we need a billionaire. We might lose hundreds of jobs uh, on the media sector next year. So depending on what happens media works, what happens with the uh, um, RNZ, uh, TVNZ, um, you know, how that's going to be reorganized, what happens with the stuff. Do our wealthy people really care? Have they showed any signs of that? I don't think so. No one has put so far their hands up. And we do have some wealthy people here. So I would call them that, you know, come on, guys. This is about, you know, democracy. So we, we need our Jeff Bezos. Yes, definitely. That was Dr. Maria Mililati, co-director of the Centre for Journalism, Media and Democracy at the AUT, talking to me there about the state of the media, as summed up in the 2019 New Zealand Media Ownership Report.